Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Dixon, and you are listening to The Graphics Profiles, the official podcast of Graphics Pro Magazine, a monthly publication that covers every aspect of the graphics industry. My guest today is J.D. Hamilton. J.D. is a longtime sign creator who has been in the industry for over 30 years. He conducts seminars around the country and is a contributing writer to Graphics Pro Magazine. Before we have J.D. join us, let's first hear from our sponsor of this month's episode, Epson. In the printing industry, you gotta check out the Epson SureColor S6600, one of Epson's most productive signage printers. This 64-inch roll-to-roll signage printer offers production-quality print speeds of up to 550 square feet per hour. It can print, laminate, and deliver the same day. The SureColor S60 was purpose-built with an automated printer maintenance system to boost productivity and minimize manual maintenance. Schedule a virtual demo and request a print sample from one of our certified solution centers at www.epson.com signage. J.D., thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we'd like to talk to you pretty much about wayfinding signage today. Could you kind of give me, in your opinion, the perfect definition of wayfinding signage? Well, to underscore and make it really simple it's about getting people from point a to point b you know if you were to open up a dictionary they would probably define it as a process and activity of ascertaining one's position and planning a route to follow for a a shop to get into this industry what's the process that they have to go through if they're going to bid for a wayfinding signage project well it's going to depend um Let's kind of break the wayfinding down into four primary disciplines. And if we were to take a look at that, we need to kind of reflect back at uh, uh, what are the five most important keys uh, involved in wayfinding that are continuous through all those different aspects. Um, The first is to create an identity at each location, and that's the biggest tie-in with signage. So... Once a person arrives at a destination, they know that they've arrived. So if we're talking about a retail location and your final destination is a JCPenney, oh, can't say that, a Sears store, sorry, can't say that. Let's say uh, Macy's. So that needs to have a signage aspect to it so that the person knows that they've arrived. To get there, um, we need to use landmarks or orientation clues to get the traveler, the visitor there. And that can be a physical reference. Um, It can be another part of the sign program that directs a person at the end of a hallway with an arrow. Um, We need to create well-structured paths. And this is an area that is a little bit beyond the scope of sign makers, but this is very paramount to Um, architects uh, to developers and builders that know that if people are going to be traveling in a certain way or a highway, for example, with vehicles, a walkway and parkways, that it's a clear path that's going to be guiding the visitor or traveler to their destination. Um, We need to create different regions of differing um, visual characteristics. 
so let's use a zoo as, as an example. Um, how do we know that we're in an area where the bears are as compared to kangaroos and koalas? There has to be some type of visual cue uh, to make a successful wayfinding uh, system. And then last of all, don't give too many navigation clues. And I think we can all relate to growing up with maybe our parents and being that guy that's holding the flashlight while dad was reading the old Sears and Roebuck catalog to build furniture and, and make a contrast today to Ikea furniture where there's actually no verbal cues. Um, it's all pictures. So KISS is the biggest example of that. Keep it simple, stupid. Can you kind of talk to me about your process? I mean, do you go to these places and walk the location and try to determine that way? Or do you look at blueprints? How do you go about your first attempt at, uh, at pitching a wayfinding program? That's a good question. What I find most beneficial is a site visit. Um, I want plans in my hand if that's a new building and there's architectural plans so I know what the rooms are, the destination is, if it's interior. I want to know the walkways, if it's a zoo, um, what people are going to see on the way there. That's going to help determine what's in the wayfinding system itself uh, to help that traveler uh, visitor go from one destination to the next. So when you're talking about interior wayfinding, do you find that uh, uh, those are jobs that any shop can do, or do you require to have a certain amount of skills or production capabilities to pull that off? Well, there's a whole discipline of uh, wayfinding that SEGD uh, has put together. You're going to find that that's more sophisticated uh, designers, but almost anybody that has a sign background that knows how to direct people can put together a, a wayfinding system. Um, but the types of wayfinding systems can vary tremendously. So uh, I'd like to break it apart into maybe four different types that I think most people could relate to. And, and although they're all different, they still adhere to the same guidelines. Um, first of all, um, if you're looking at going into a vehicle and driving into a, a historic district, you might find that you have to work with a certain font size that is readable from a distance, readable at speed. And this system could vary between um, vehicle traffic and then getting into a pedestrian area that has both sidewalks and vehicle traffic. So we're talking about a whole set of guidelines that have to be uh, discussed with DOT partners, uh, civic partners, municipality partners. A lot of these type of signage uh, projects will be determined by um, stamped engineer drawings, uh, usually have a reflective background. And anything, of course, that is exterior, we got to look at materials um, and uh, fabrication techniques that can handle the elements. And of course, that crazy guy with that spray can that might end up vandalizing it. If we were to contrast that with uh, 
more of an exterior program from a pedestrian standpoint. Let's use zoos as an example. Um, we still have to worry about the durability of having fabrication techniques, uh, materials, um, print size, um, and obviously theming and branding has become very important in these environments uh, to direct the customer and the traveler visitor to their final destination. So you've been doing this for quite some time and uh, probably have a really good grasp of what types of uh, substrates and materials that are being used for your typical wayfinding signage uh, system. Uh, how, what, what are some of the main focuses that shops should be looking at? Uh, should it be longevity or should it be appearance, knowing that they will change often? Uh, what are the huge things that you want to look at there? Well, when I first started doing this, I, I started with a stone and a chisel and created my wayfinding by putting arrows saying, go this way. But in today's world, we, we got to take a look at um, the importance of uh, the development of wayfinding. So really, if, if you go back and you look in history, when you started to first see the words wayfinding pop up, it wasn't really until the 1950s. And by the 80s and 90s, uh, wayfinding has become an integral part of everything from retail, think of a shopping mall, uh, to zoos, theme parks, water parks. Um, and then when you get into an interior situation, you're looking at healthcare systems. And as far as uh, fabrication and putting everything together, those vary tremendously because now you're talking about signs that are viewed from a distance, uh, again, having the ability to be cleaned in, in today's environment, COVID, uh, it has to be something that if people are going to have a high tactile uh, touch to it, like uh, an interpretive graphic, you want a product that can be wiped and cleaned and be germ-free. Um, when you're talking about an interior wayfinding system um, that you would often see in a hospital, uh, the signage is a lot smaller. But the biggest thing that has developed over the years is how you can theme and brand that system of wayfinding that uh, gives the visitor, the traveler, um, the experience of the, of the corporate or the type of situation where a company or a zoo would want to express their image. Now let's take a quick break to hear from this month's sponsor, Epson. Epson's 64-inch SureColor S8600 roll-to-roll solvent printer has amazing print quality. Featuring Epson's Ultra Chrome GS3 9-color solvent ink, including orange and red, the SureColor S80 delivers up to 98% Pantone coverage and has the option to switch between white or metallic silver inks. Combine that with the new Precision Media Feeding System and a high-performance dual-array Precision Core TFP print head. The SureColor S80 is an incredibly productive and reliable signage printer. Learn more about the full line of Epson signage printers or request a virtual demo at www.epson.com signage. J.D., you've been uh, talking about uh, these uh, wayfinding systems and everything like that. As far as travelers go, airports are definitely a unique situation for wayfinding signage. Um, and they also seem to be the most, uh, uh, 
uh, cuss word generating wayfinding signage in the world. So I was kind of wondering if you could share some of your experiences with airport wayfinding and how difficult of a process uh, doing that is. With most airports, um, they are going to probably work with an outside design agency that's going to develop the actual system itself. So by the time that falls into the hands of a sign maker, the plans are pretty much done. But one of the things that those designers will take a look at is the fact that this is a very large open area. So you're almost creating a hybrid between what I refer to as vehicular wayfinding and pedestrian wayfinding. One of the keys to a successful wayfinding system is to work with a very easily read sans serif font, very high contrasting, and determine what the font size needs to be from a distance. Now we can refer to a lot of DOT information and that can be pulled off the web, uh, but quite honestly, Gemini, um, and, and some of the other wholesale manufacturers will have uh, distance uh, type height from different vantage points that will make a suggestion on to what size that font needs to be. And then from there, depending on the information that needs to be uh, put on the wayfinding plaque, um, you, you can figure out a sign size. And then of course, with airports, it also becomes a bigger issue of uh, vaulted ceilings, um, working with hardware that suspends a sign um, and where the theming comes into place with airports, because most of them are trying to convey the same information to get travelers, uh, passengers from, let's say for example, uh, the ticket area to the final gate you've got the same consistent look, but you also want to identify and brand your individual airport. And you'll see some of those as some of the destination signages that we talked about earlier, where maybe that's a concourse entrance and then has the different gates. And this is where uh, an airport can feature their own individual branding and theming. You kind of touched on uh, regulations a little bit. What are some some regulations that are pretty standard that uh, uh, designers really need to keep in mind when they're creating a program? Uh, the, the biggest is probably the exterior for uh, vehicular travel. And you're seeing this happen in areas that have a, a high tourist uh, summer or winter or whatever season it is that they're bringing in visitors. Um, they might have outskirts of thoroughfares uh, and then also then the pedestrian that we were talking about in, let's say, a Main Street USA program. Um, what you're looking at there is stamped engineered drawings. Um, it's very important to understand that those particular projects, those signs are put into a right of way. So you're working very closely with the DOT or the municipality to make sure um, that you can work in those right-of-ways, uh, call before you dig for regulations. Um, and, and there's a lot of background work that needs to be done there. And I've worked with a lot of companies in the past that underestimate the amount of time and effort that needs to be put into that. 
um, and it can make or break making a profit on a project. What kind of time frame are we usually looking at when you have so many different uh, governmental and private agencies working together? I would have to say it's it's on the longer end of the time frame schedule. Um, quite honestly, uh, for example, municipalities that are working with a new wayfinding system to get to their downtown or their Main Street USA will be working with the designer. Um, they'll put out those designs for bid. Uh, that process in itself uh, usually takes four to eight weeks. Um, once a bid is granted, uh, it's another four to six weeks to have everything processed, sign contracts, um, do submittal drawings, another four to six weeks, uh, and then actual fabrication, which is about the same amount of time. So anywhere from start to finish on a vehicular project like that uh, with the main street or our tourism aspect to it, you could plan on three to four months. Okay. What's your, in your personal experience over your career, what's the fastest you've ever pulled off one of these jobs? I would have to say that comes down to like rebranding a healthcare facility or a hospital. Uh, Quite often, you'll see that different companies uh, will buy out another, and then they want to quickly rebrand it with their colors, maybe a unique sign shape, but the system is already in place. Permits aren't required. We don't have to deal with all the harsh uh, environmental elements of an exterior wayfinding system. So there, you can go in and take site photos, you can work out a message schedule, uh, location plans of the existing signs, uh, and create, let's say, sign type A to F for wayfinding. Um, kind of present that to the client and then update it with their new look. Um, and then from there, as if they sign off, there isn't any regulations to follow. You can throw it right into production. Um, and then work on an installation schedule. But I would still plan on the two to three weeks of uh, having some middle drawings approved. Um, And again, another four to eight weeks uh, to manufacture the signs before you begin installation. So obviously the the most important thing about wayfinding is to make sure that people don't get lost. Uh, What would you say is the second most important? That they know where they are at all times. Um, And, what I find really interesting with technology evolving, and again, I like to use the theme parks and zoos because that's where I have a, a very decent background, is that there's, there's collateral material that can help with the wayfinding experience. So if you buy a ticket at a zoo, you're usually given a park map. Um, it becomes very imperative that whoever is working on the design of that map should be closely looking at the wayfinding system of signage and vice versa, so that they have this collateral material that all ties in so that the visitor as they're traveling may have a final destination, but the experience for that visitor um, can be enhanced on their travel there. Um, I'm seeing that happen more and more with uh, different apps, mobile apps. So again, using the zoo or theme park as an example, uh, you've got another collateral media that can help 
with the wayfinding and, and give the, the visitor a, a great experience as they're making their journey. So much has changed in, in branding and theme environments over the last, I would have to say, 20 years. Um, the biggest mistake is, is to go back, to, let's say, to the 80s and 90s, where you just simply had, I'm going to use a high school, for example, at the end of the hallway, you had classroom, you know, 100 to 200 to the left and uh, 300 to 400 to the right. Um, in, in today's world, you now have the application of wall graphics, for example, at the end of that hallway where they can, you know, feature the school mascot. Maybe it's a, an athletic picture. Um, and, then, and that helps with the journey for that that person that knows that I'm trying to find the director of athletics. And when I see the football player in his latest branded uniform and the arrow pointing me that way, um, it, it's just the way that we've evolved. We're much more visual than we were in the past. And, you know, that takes us back to the beginning of wayfinding and signage when most people uh, in the, 16 and 1700s could not read. And if you were a shoe cobbler, you, you hung a big shoe above your door. Or if you were a blacksmith, you put an anvil out and you didn't have to have the words or the arrow. You just knew from the visibility of uh, the graphic that you were on the right path. Just one more thing I'd like to ask you about today. And, uh, it usually uh, comes up with almost any production now is uh, ADA compliance with wayfinding. Now, every time I look into it, sometimes it just feels overwhelming. How do you keep from getting overwhelmed by the rules and regulations to comply with ADA uh, regulations? And that's a great question, Matt. Um, it has evolved so much and so quickly, not only in the different types of fabrication, um, everything from photopolymers uh, to direct print um, to thermal forming. Um, it, it can be overwhelming. And sometimes I like to put this in perspective. Um, only 5% of all blind people can read Braille. And only like one-fifth of that actually goes and reads a sign. So when you really put that in perspective, it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult to justify the, the cost of, of the ADA. Um, but nonetheless, it's required and it has its importance. So most of the time that you're dealing with the ADA application is in an interior environment. And that's dictated by federal code from the American uh, Act of Dis Disabilities Act. Um, to municipal, to state. So that can vary from location to location. So it does become very frustrating to understand where those, those code requirements come from. And when you're working with a wayfinding system, I'll use healthcare again as an example, um, you wanna make sure that you're working within um, the ADA guidelines, which clearly state a certain font size for the room number and in Braille. Um, it needs to have contrasting colors. It needs to have raised letters and, and raised Braille. Now, the wayfinding itself 
99% of the time, but not always, does not have to have the ADA requirements. So if, if you're trying to be upfront and honest with your client, you can cut back on some of that cost on the wayfinding system since it does not have to have the raised letters in Braille. But you want your colors and your theme. Maybe that's a frame. Maybe that's a little logo uh, to all tie in and brand together um, so that the wayfinding directs you to the final destination. If you look at your final destination, that usually has to comply as a door marker to ADA requirements, which means that it has to have the Braille sign. And just to sign off here, uh, I'd kind of like to know what was your favorite wayfinding project that you've ever done? What's the one that just sticks in your head as your pride and joy? I had a unique experience. It was, it was a, I've done a lot of larger projects, um, but one of the most unique ones I did was uh, the, the Duke Energy Explorium. Um, which kind of talked about uh, different energy sources. Duke Energy here in, in the Charlotte area of North Carolina uh, has both nuclear, um, hydraulic, and uh, steam-powered plants. And they have a great museum that kind of outlines the, the pros and cons of each. And with areas that have been dammed up for the hydraulics, like Lake Norman, um, you, you have a vantage point outside of the museum where you could actually see in the distance the, the, the nuclear power plant. You could see the dam for the hydraulic. And in the background, you could still see the steam. And they preserved um, a nature park. And my favorite thing about the wayfinding was directing people through this nature park and, and seeing everything from the raptors, the eagles, the owls. Um, to the types of fish. Um, and one of the, the coolest things that we had done there was to show uh, somebody with their outspread hands, a child, and compare it to what an eagle's wing spread was to an owl. Um, interactive uh, materials that showed a, a, a pupus of a butterfly becoming a butterfly. Wayfinding can be interpretive on the journey. So as you direct people to where they're going, um, it just opens up a whole nother uh, advantage for an interpretive experience to find out what you're learning on your journey. Thank you so much to J.D. Hamilton for joining me today. Be sure to check out Graphics Pro Magazine for his latest articles. And you can catch all of our previous Graphics Profiles podcast episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. New episodes come out every month. And if there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, drop me a line. My contact information is in the show notes of today's episode. Till then, stay safe, and best of luck blazing your own path with those wayfinding projects.